But Happy New Year, everybody. As I said last week to those of you who did gather with us at Cape Academy, uh, just really um, excited to uh, go into this new year with you all as a church community. There's so much going to happen this year that we're going to look very, very different in 12 months' time. Praise God. That's just really, really exciting. Just 10 years later to see so much of the vision that that almost almost moments of fulfillment. <laughs> Is it all good? I can talk very loud if you need me to. I don't need the mic. I got my dad's lungs, and there's a lion in there. I, I, uh, <laughs> I got a few Christmas presents this year. I got uh, three that I'd like to really mention. The one is the golf shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, I liked it so much I went down and bought another one. And the other one that I got is the slideshow up and ready. <clears throat> there we go. Is this puzzle. And uh, this puzzle is much like 2021. It's about impossible <laughs> to get through. It's 1,500 little pieces, and the majority of all can all fit in with each other. And it's mostly gold and very detailed. But much like 2021, I got through it, and I managed to finish the puzzle, and I'm glad I've finished both. The other gift was family time, and in this next slide, we can take gathering together for granted until we hit with something like COVID. And with all the travel bans and the red lists and everything, for a family as big as mine to get together and spend so much time together playing donkey on the ping pong table was really, really special. So this is my father's quiver, and you can see him over there with, uh, so that's my dad, John, Oop, I'm past the point of no return. That's my dad, John Broom, and my mom, Elaine Broom, and we've got my sister and her husband from Portugal. We've got my brother and my sister-in-law from Lebeja, and we've got my other sister from down the road with her husband and all the grandkids, Bar Stephen and Lauren Kate, and all the grand dogs. So not all of them. There's some grand dogs missing. But it was an amazing time. And next year, I hope to be with my brother-in-law, who currently lives in New York, and his family. But that's a whole nother year away, and a lot's going to happen in a year. It always feels like we get to start a new chapter in a new year, like we get to write a new story. What will your story be this year? In the film industry, when we write a story, uh, when screenwriters write a film script, one of the first things they do is they write what's called a character bible. Um, and it's a, a long description of the characters, the main roles that will be in the feature film. And the, the character Bible details everything, uh, the physical characteristics, the personality traits, the education, the strengths, the weaknesses of each character. And as we write the movie, or as the director makes the movie, it's something they can always go back to, to make sure that person is performing true to their characters. It really helps them understand their motivations and, and why they react to things the way they do. And, and, and they, they might say things wrong according to their true character. And it really aids their performance. So as you go into 2022, why don't you take some time to think about your character Bible and why maybe you react to things the way you do? What are your motivations. 
And maybe at the end of today's message, you want to go back to your character Bible and rewrite a few parts of it. But before we open this Bible, I am going to tell you about a movie that I'm going to make one day. Because... <laughs> How could I not? Um, it's very loosely based on the truth, and I'm going to say extremely loosely based on fact. It's 1979, 42 years ago, some 42 years around there, and it's the height of the Cold War, right? And John Broom, a soldier from South Africa, has befriended an American soldier named Ronald Reagan. And over the last couple decades, they've fought closely with each other through Korea and through Vietnam, and now they find themselves as spies in the Cold War. John has saved Reagan's life many times and vice versa. At the climax of the Cold War, they have an extremely important secret mission that will take them across the Berlin Wall to dismantle a nuclear bomb. It's such a secret mission that you've never heard of it. It's their most dangerous assignment to date. In the cool of the evening, as they prepare, they can hear the distant air raid sirens and sniper fire. John Broom gets word that there's a price on his head, and the Russians know where he is and what he's about to do. And John turns to his friend Ronnie, and he says, Ronnie, if I die, will you take care of my family? In tears, the bonded brothers swear they will never forget each other. John dies that night, but Ronald goes on to disarm the nuke. He returns to America a hero and becomes president of the United States of America. A few months into his first term, at the peak of his popularity and success, he remembers his friend John. And he calls on his chief of staff, James Baker, and he says to him, James, is there anyone still alive in the house of John to whom I can show God's kindness? James answered the president, there is still a son of John. He is a skinny geek, terrible at math, can't spell, and can't catch a ball. Where is he? The president says. James answered, he is in Bergfleet, Mr. President, the armpit of the southern suburbs at the bottom of Africa. Bring him to me. So Reagan had him flown from Bergfleet to Washington, D.C. When Derek, son of John, came to Ronald, he bowed down awkwardly to pay him honor. Ronnie said, Derek, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, Ronald said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, John. I will give you property in America, and you will always eat at my table at the White House. Derek bowed awkwardly again and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dog like me? <laughs> Reagan gave him land and a job and Derek ate at the table like one of the president's own sons. Derek couldn't do math, couldn't spell, couldn't catch a ball, and even his best friends affectionately called him dog. Sounds fantastical, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, as we go into your word today, won't you just open our minds and our hearts to what you're wanting to say to us as individuals? 
in the situations we find ourselves right now. Your word is alive. It is a living word. Breathe life into it today and speak to us, I pray. We're going to turn uh, together to, or you can open up your devices and click along to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makir, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down again and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet." The previous chapter, if you can see it there, chapter 8 of 2 Samuel, is titled David's Victories. David is at the height of his success as a king. He has wealth, he has family, he has status. King David lacks nothing at this point. He is living in a time of prosperity, and it's maybe at that point that he starts to look around and think of the things he doesn't have, and then he misses his friend, Jonathan. You see, David met Jonathan when he was just a boy. David arrived on the royal scene as a mere shepherd boy with a sling and five stones. King Saul, God's anointed king at the time, takes David in after he slays the giant Goliath. David and Saul's oldest son, Jonathan, become the closest of friends. They become the ultimate BBFFs, best Bible friends forever. Their brotherly bond is described vividly in detail in First and Second Samuel. Years go by. Saul eventually loses the plot, and he loses his mind, and he gets all messed up, and he loses God's blessing, and he loses God's anointing, and eventually he sets out to kill David. David becomes a fugitive and goes into hiding. Jonathan 
reaches out to David. Jonathan warns David at the risk of his own life due to threats his father is making against David. Torn between his allegiance to his father, the king, and his love for his friend, he betrays his dad and he helps David. At the climax of the conflict between Saul and David, with the imminent danger to David's life, Jonathan goes to David and commits to warn him to help him survive. And they make this covenant in 1 Samuel 20, 13 to 17. But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you, he's speaking to David, may the Lord be with you, David, as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I might not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his faith out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, what would make this covenant so unusual? Excuse me. The first thing is, well, because Jonathan is the son of a king. If David were to become king, an heir to the throne should be seen as the greatest threat, and it must be killed. That is what kings did in those days. They wiped out any potential challenge to the throne. David, when all your enemies are vanquished, will you please not do that to me? I know God's hand is on you. I know you will be king. I flipping love you, but please don't do what other kings would do. A little while later, Saul commits suicide. Jonathan dies in battle. David goes on to be king. So we pick up today in 2 Samuel 9, where David is now a great king, and he remembers his promise. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now, remember, David here is not a man who lacks anything. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anybody more in his life. But he is a man who keeps his promises. He remembers his friend and he asks if his friend has any children that are still alive so he can show them what? His power? His revenge? No, so that he can show them kindness. Now the Hebrew word for kindness used in this passage is the word chesed. Chesed. And it's a very specific word that God uses to show his love and his mercy towards humanity. Chesed. God says, I love the Israelites. I rescue them. They disobey me. I still love them and I have mercy on them over and over again. It's a committed Loving kindness. To describe the word chesed, I'd need to lean on the story of the shepherd with the 100 sheep. One night, the shepherd finds out that one of his sheep is missing, and he drops everything. He leaves the 99 good sheep. He'd be fine with 99 sheep. He does not need the lost sheep. 
But he goes to find the lost one. He goes to find the one whose life is at risk because that lamb has wandered off. That lamb has been separated from the flock. He goes to find the one that is likely hurt, trapped, lonely, abandoned, frightened, hungry, and hopeless. He drops everything, and he goes into the dark places, the dangerous places, and he doesn't stop until he finds that lamb. And then he hoists that lamb upon his shoulders, and he takes it home, where he can protect it, provide for it, and care for it. You see, this is a kindness that God is known for. And we see it when God reveals himself to us as the great shepherd. This is an extraordinary, it's an unnatural kindness. And David wants to show chesed for the sake of Jonathan. Let's go back to our story. Enter Ziba. The first thing we learn about Ziba is that he served the previous king, Saul. So he's a guy that knows things about the family, right? He knows the whole story, and he has a very peculiar take on it. The king asked, is there anyone still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness to? Whose kindness? David's kindness? Whose kindness? God's kindness to? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Ziba just replies, yeah, there is a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in both feet. Ziba doesn't say his name. He doesn't say his age. He doesn't say his education, but he goes into great detail about his physical incapacities. You see, he's crippled, oh, but not in one foot. You see, he's crippled in both feet. David didn't ask for any details. But Ziba insists on giving him this juicy account. There are lots of ways we can describe a person. Ziba chooses his crippled in both feet. He cannot walk. He's of absolutely no use to you. Move on, king. I am here, though, your servant. How about, hold on. David didn't ask, is there anyone educated? He didn't ask, is there a prophet or a man of wise counsel who can advise me? He didn't ask, is there anyone handsome and presentable who can be my diplomat? Is there anyone musical who could play for me? Is there anyone strong who can fight for me? David says, I want to show chesed. So is there anyone, anyone? Because that's God's kindness, right? And in the Bible, where you see the word anyone, you put your name there. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if anyone would believe in him, if Derek would believe in him, if Joyce would believe in him, if Megs would believe in him, if Tracy would believe in him, if Clive would believe in him, he shall have eternal life. But this guy's crippled in both feet. He won't look good in your courts. He won't make the king look stronger. He'll be bad for your image. He won't. Verse 4, where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. Where is he? Well, now, king, you see, there's a story behind this. He's hiding in Lodabar. Lodabar literally means no pasture. It's a Palestinian wasteland. Why would anybody want to live in the most God-forsaken part of the land where nothing grows? Well, you'd live there if you were hiding. You would live there if you didn't want to be found, if you didn't want anybody to visit you. You'd definitely live there if you were hiding from the king. Why is he there? Let's read the backstory in chapter 4, 2 Samuel 4. 
Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, she fell and he became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. He was hiding in Lodabar in fear of you. A servant girl who knew the royal game wanted to save his life. When she heard Saul and Jonathan had died, she expected the next king to want to kill this little boy. She tried to do the right thing. She bundles him up. She starts to run for his life. And she drops this boy in her haste to get away. And he becomes crippled in both feet. And his name is Mephibosheth. The name that he is given is shame. Mephibosheth literally means breathing shame. And from that moment, he would live in shame. His name is shame, and he is identified only by his condition. He is crippled in both feet. He is useless to anybody, and he will live in a wasteland. He will be lost. He will be broken. He will be hurt, and he will be hopeless. But because of what his father did, he's about to be shown grace. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Not for Mephibosheth's sake, not because of what Mephibosheth has done, but for Jonathan's sake and because of what Jonathan did. I want to show grace to that person. David doesn't even hesitate. Let's go back to our story. Verse 5, so King David had him brought to him from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. King David had him brought from Lodabar. Just get him. Stop describing what's wrong with him. Stop describing what's wrong with his family. Stop describing what's wrong with his past. Stop describing what's wrong with where he's situated right now. Just let him come to me. Let him come to me. His whole life, this boy, now a young man, has been defined by his condition. David doesn't even go there. This guy has been defined by his place in Lodabar, and David looks straight past it. Mephibosheth is about to be given grace regardless because of what somebody else did for him. He was afraid when he heard the king was, had sent for him. That's why he bows down. David says, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm going to show you chesed. I'm going to show you God's chesed, God's kindness for Jonathan's sake. Oh, and I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you instant wealth. I'm going to give you instant identity. It's promised land. And hey, if you're an Israelite and you own promised land, you're a child of God. It's all about identity. I understand how other people see you, Mephibosheth, but I see you as a child of Jonathan. Even greater, I see you as a child of God. And you now have a home in the promised land. Oh, and it gets better. You're going to eat with me at my table every day. You see, the king's table is a table of honor. The king's table is a table of influence where you have the ear of the king. You're going to go from Lodabar to the king's table. And I'm going to restore your shame in ways you never imagined. Who am I? Who am I? 
Mephibosheth's response. Mephibosheth, he bows down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I don't think you know who I am. Today we love our dogs. <laughs> I'm not going to mention names, but some people even let them sleep on the bed. But in those days, dogs were scavengers. They were not pets. If you let a dog into your house, people would have thought you were mad. They were nuisances. They were wild creatures that cleaned up stuff and wrecked havoc. And the sight of a dead dog made people happy. You know, people, if they saw a dead dog, they wouldn't notice. They'd walk by. Oh, dead dog. Oh, that's wonderful. They'd, they'd walk by. Who am I that you should notice a dead dog like me? You see, Mephibosheth gets so much more than he thought was coming from him. He even gets that bully, Ziba. In verse 9, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table he was lame in both feet. How does it end there? How does it end? He was lame in both feet. How many times do we have to hear the fact that he was lamed in, lame in both feet, that he was crippled in both feet? But that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. I love the story of Mephibosheth. I think I first preached this message about 18 years ago. It's a remarkable story of grace. And it's a small picture of the biggest story of God's grace towards you and me, because you and I are totally unworthy of sitting at the king's table. We are totally unworthy of receiving his chesed, his kindness. Do you know that in the Bible there are over a hundred verses that mention a banquet with God, and we're invited? But Jesus, I'm crippled in both feet. It's not that I can't spell or catch a ball. Jesus, I'm just not worthy because I am crippled by sin. I'm crippled by my bad choices. Who am I, Jesus? Can you identify? Or do you choose not to? You see, one of the things that keeps us from really understanding the fullness of God's grace is the idea that just maybe perhaps God doesn't have to reach so far to show kindness to me because there's something inside of me that's better than what's inside of you. That's pride. And then on the flip side, some of us here today are saying, God, I'm a dead dog. I don't deserve your grace. I'll never be good enough. You can't give it to me. You can't forgive me. This is the beautiful thing about grace. It covers both errors in thinking. So check your character Bible. How are you described? What we fail to see here is that we are Mephibosheth, and Jesus is the better Jonathan. Jesus went before us, giving his life. We were transferred from death to life. We were poor and had nothing to offer. Now we have everything in Christ. We receive grace upon grace because of his actions. We will never be good enough. That will 
never stop him. Look around at the table. Ah, oh, there's Noah the drunk. Ah, oh, there's Jacob the liar. Ah, oh, there's Moses the murderer. Ah, oh, there's Rahab the prostitute. There's David the adulterer. There's Peter the denier. And there's Thomas the doubter. They're at the table too. Oh, Jesus, heal me first. You know, David, let me get my feet fixed. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to sit at your table. No, just come as you are. Jesus, I, I can change. You know what? I'm going to go and, and study theology, and I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to do that thing, and I'm going to be, be a better person, and then I'm going to come to your table. Jesus says, no, you just, you just come, come as you are. Jesus, you don't understand because I've got nothing to offer you. I'm from Lodabar, or I'm from Bergfried, or I'm from a poor family, or I'm from a family that doesn't love or care, or I'm from whatever. I've got nothing to offer. Jesus says, just come. Just come as you are. This is a picture of God's loving kindness. Because right now he's saying to you, Jesus, just, just come as you are. Can you identify with that lamb? Lost, frightened, are you hurting? Are you identified by your condition? Divorced, depressed, dependent, rejected, addicted, broke or broken? Have you given up? Are you living in a spiritual wasteland? Have you been dropped by somebody who was supposed to take care of you? Is your name shame? Let me tell you, Jesus is a shepherd, and he's gone to the dark places. And he died to find you. He conquered death and sin, and he rose again for you, and is saying to you today, come, just as you are. Jesus wants to restore you. He wants to restore your identity. He wants to restore your shame and restore your name. And if you choose to, if you move toward him in the step of faith and acceptance, he wants you to know that every day, every day you can come into his presence. He will be with you for the rest of your life on earth, and he will always have his ear. And you will know his loving kindness. And one day when this world has passed away, you will eat with him at the king's table because you are a child of God. That will be your identity. That is your new identity. While the band comes up and gets ready to play, why, why don't we just take a few seconds to just think about our character Bibles. Think about the coming year and this new chapter that we're going to get to write. And let's respond to the shepherd. Father God, just as we look to 2022, we're just so grateful that as a shepherd, you guide and you lead us through whatever's going to happen. You, you're the one who makes paths straight. You're the one who protects us with your staff. And Lord God, we just find such peace as we walk into your presence into this next year. But Father God, for people here who are hurting and in pain and need some restoration, Father God, won't you touch them right now? As their healer, Holy Spirit, full of compassion, wrap your arms around them, we pray. Lord God, do some healing in this tent today. Sure. Oh, Lord God, we just pray for healing to take place. Touch lives, touch hearts, restore broken hearts today. Failed dreams, lost hope, rejection, shame, bitterness, anger, doubt, fear. Holy Spirit, take over as our Prince of Peace, as our source of joy, everlasting, 
everlasting water, Lord God, everlasting. Oh, we praise you for the eternal picture that you give us. Sure, maybe there's somebody this morning who's never seen Jesus like this, never seen this shepherd seeking them out. And you're willing to step up now and say, I, I, I want to follow this shepherd. Amen. If you're in that position and you want to say, I want to follow Jesus, why don't you put your hand up so I can just pray with you. If there's anybody here who says, I, I really, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my life around. I want to be restored. I want to follow Jesus. Just bravely put your hand up. Oh, well, praise God. Lord. Our Lord God, we thank you for just your Father heart, your chesed towards us, that it'll never end. We go into 2022 worshiping you. Amen.